0: live from the heartland and the crossroads of america it's tony Katz today but there's one more thing house republicans are asking for which is they want fewer irs agents they want fewer
1: attempts to try to properly uh get tax receipts into the federal government's coffers i have never understood the resistance Of extra
0: IRS agents, uh, unless you knowingly cheat on your taxes. Uh, That first of all, that's that's salacious, and you know that most Americans, by far, pay their taxes and they do it honorably. Byron Donalds is doing excellent work uh, for speaking for a Republican Party that is made up of people who simply don't know how to speak the English language. You get a Republican on camera, ask them a question. And usually their answer is along the lines of, I mean, they're just not good at it. Byron Donald is very, very good at it. The only reason, says Chuck Todd, that you would oppose extra IRS agents is if you knowingly cheat on your taxes. Is there any question as to whether or not he's a useful idiot? Is there any conversation now that could be had? Oh, by the way, I said the word useful idiot. I meant it. Let's not think that somehow I didn't mean it. I'm talking the term as it was utilized by the Stalinists, by the Leninists, to explain those people in the West who actually thought that what it is they were doing was smart and worthy. You know, people like this guy. You
1: know, it's funny, sometimes American journalists talk about how bad a country is because people are lining up for food. That's a good thing. In other countries, people don't line up for food. The rich get the food and the poor starve to death.
0: That is Senator Bernie Sanders advocating for bread lines. Do you know what kind of fool you have to be to advocate for bread lines? Well, a useful idiot. That's the kind of fool you have to be. Welcome to that club, Chuck Todd. The only reason to oppose more IRS agents is that you knowingly cheat on your taxes. That's, that's precious. The reason to oppose more IRS agents is first the recognition that the income tax is theft and should be done away with. States can have an income tax. The federal government should not have an income tax. Secondly, the IRS is utilized as a cudgel against American citizens for not only taking away ability to engage free speech, but in pure harassment. Because only with the IRS do we uh, create a situation by which you have to prove your innocence, not that they have to prove your guilt. It's an un-American concept from the beginning, yet we allow it. Because you, federal government getting paid, you feel is more important than the rights of Americans, which is why Americans have to vote properly and do away with this madness. I swear to you, if we didn't have the IRS... If we didn't have the IRS and we didn't have the Department of Education, you know what we would all be? Happier. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? 833 got Tony. 833-468-8669. That's how you get to be a part of the program. Now... Uh, Never mind uh, Chuck Todd and, and, and his silliness and the patheticness of him. Let us take what he is saying a step further. This witnessing that we have of the hatred that government has for the people. As I would state to him, the increase of IRS agents, which is to say the increase of any government uh, agency, is to prove the disdain that those who control government have for the people who pay for their existence, who no longer get a value from the government, but yet are subjected to treatment by the government. Which is the precipice in this teeter-totter that we're feeling. That is the government actually there to do the work that we need them to do for us? Or are they engaged in activities of things they want to do to us? So, for example, new construction in New York can't have gas stoves. Federally, they want to do away with your ability to get a gas stove. Is that something that's for me? Or is that something being done to me? Well, the average person recognizes that's something... um, That's being done to them. Not for them. My life is not better because I cannot get a gas stove. By the way, mine's coming tomorrow. Took a month. It took a month. The stove finally went. I mean, the stove's from like 2004. It came with the house. I'd replaced the filament once because it's a dual fuel. It's a gas range. It's an electric oven. Which is, if you are somebody who cooks and somebody who bakes... Giddy up, the way to go. You want what the gas provides on, on, on the range, but baking via electric, remember, cooking is art. Baking is science. Baking baking is science. Decorating the baking, that's art. But baking is science. The direct amount of this to the direct amount of that and proper correlation and proper uh, placement. Otherwise, you end up with mush. that's what you'd get you'd get you'd get something that's 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 inedible so electric in the in the oven allows uh at least in our view a a, a better perfection of heat all the way around so we 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 go with the electric uh, And someone could disagree with us, and and that's totally fine. We do it. But we should be allowed to get a gas oven. Why should the government tell us no? What are you, out of your mind? Well, the government tells you no uh, uh, about an automatic weapon. Well, first, if I get the tax stamp, I can get an automatic weapon. Um, Secondly, you haven't passed any legislation about this. All you did was pass some edicts through a government agency. Ah, the problem with government agencies. They can pass these edicts that we have to live by and we have no recourse. Neither, by the way, do our elected representatives because the agency is out of their grasp, which is why the entire agency class needs to be destroyed, defunded to zero, and then ended, and those regulations ripped from the books. And if Congress thinks they're important, let them pass legislation. This will get into a whole conversation in the days ahead uh, about uh, Chevron. And what is Chevron deference? Because as I understand it, the Supreme Court might actually be looking this way. Chevron deference. Go back to 1984. Chevron versus Natural Resources Defense Council. So this was a, a, a conversation about how courts should defer to policy-making decisions made by federal agencies. For example, the Environmental Protection Agency, the Department of Labor. This is how the people at Vox write it, and this is a very, very left-leaning group of people. Why should they be, why should the courts defer to federal agencies? Agencies typically have a far greater expertise in the areas they regulate than judges and thus are more likely to make wise policy decisions. And while federal judges are largely immune from democratic accountability, federal agencies typically are run by officials who serve at the pleasure of an elected president and thus have far more democratic legitimacy to make policy choices. The, this is an argument in favor of Chevron deference, because somehow the people who work in the agencies are wise. Do we just let that sink in? Do we just let, do we Do we need a song to go with that? I can, I can provide a song to go with that. Sure, here. Here you go. There it is. Do you know how awful you have to be to say we should defer to the agencies because they're wiser than our elected officials that the people voted for? We should have agencies unencumbered by things like elections and responsibility to the citizen because, well, they're wise. Why not just put them in robes and prance them around while they do some chanting and say, hooray for skull and bones? So there is, a, um, there is a case that is going to come before the court, um, which I believe it's Loper Bright Enterprises versus Raimondo. Now, Raimondo refers to the Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo, the former governor of Rhode Island. And the question is, should the court overturn Chevron now? I do not claim an expertise in this subject. I am going to follow the case as it happens, as it gets discussed. We'll go through some of the arguments, and then from the arguments, we'll be like, hmm, what do we think? But the idea that we should trust the agency class, and the only reason you don't trust the agency class is because you're doing something wrong, is just as useful, idiot, as the day is long. And whether I go to Vox... Or I go to Chuck Todd. This is what we experience all the time. We experience this constant theory that only government can make us okay. Only government knows the way. Won't they please tell us and show us how to be good and decent? It's madness, I tell you. There's um, a story uh, about Secretary Cardona, Miguel Cardona, Secretary of Education. I, I told you I'd get rid of the Department of Education. First thing I would do is get rid of the Department of Education. There would be no Secretary of Education. It would be done. It would be returned to the states. Done. He tweets out, teachers know what is best for their kids because they are with them every day. We must trust teachers. When the teacher acts in a way that isn't trustworthy, I do, I do not trust her or him. And there are many teachers out there who don't act trustworthy. And when Libs of TikTok posts the what it is that they're putting out there about wanting to hide things from their parents, from, from, from our, our kids, they hide things about our kids from us. They try and lead kids down certain paths. They feel this need to uh, discuss their entire sexual history with kids. Or political. It makes it hard to trust. It makes it hard to trust when the governor of New Jersey, Chris Murphy, says uh, to someone requiring school staff to out LGBTQ plus students to their parents is wrong. Coming out as a personal decision, writes Phil Murphy, the governor of New Jersey, on Twitter. We won't allow government-mandated outing that puts the health of our young people at risk. This is the governor of New Jersey saying that parents can't be trusted. Only teachers can be trusted with what's going on with our kids. So we will work to not inform parents of what's happening. Which brings us to a letter as posted by Corey DeAngelis from a New Hampshire representative Democrat named Tommy Hoyt. A constituent said, Hey, I'm I'm writing to ask that you pass a certain piece of legislation that would, you know, favor the rights of parents and in education. And Hoyt responds, Representative Hoyt responds, do you know why children's results tanked during COVID? Their parents were incompetent teachers. Do your children a favor, let the teachers teach and shut up. You're clearly no professional. You should not have a say in your kid's education. You should only trust the teacher. You're not good enough to teach. You should shut up and be thankful the teacher is there. You should have no say. And it's okay if we don't tell you what's happening with your kid. We know better for your kid than you do. Wow just like they believe the agency class is filled with wise people who know better for you than you do, and that's why you can't have a gas stove. They know better than you about how to raise your child. They know that you can't be trusted with the truth, so they want to keep it from you. And how dare you even ask a question. All your children are belong to us, as the expression would go. They believe that our children belong to them. The agency class believes that our rights belong to them. And in both cases, we have to say no. And then we have to make changes. I'm Tony Katz. One of the stories you'll be seeing on your social media feeds Especially if you're on the political right, is a story uh, from Mary Olihan, Mary Margaret Olihan uh, over at The Daily Signal. So The Daily Signal is a publication of the Heritage Foundation. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Exclusive leaked policy exposes Fox News stances on woke ideology. Now, this is already making the rounds. You've got Matt Walsh saying that he got blacklisted by Fox for his open and honest conversation uh, about uh, people who, who state that they are transgender and, and children, et cetera. The whole movie of what is a woman, et cetera. Brian Stelter has come out to say that Tucker Carlson is the one who leaked uh, the employee policy. I have no idea, nor do I listen to Brian Stelter. But the story is, is that according to the Daily Signal, Fox employees are allowed to use bathrooms that align with their gender identity rather than biological sex. They can dress in alignment with their preferred gender, and they have to be addressed by their preferred name and pronouns in the workplace. I want you to know I'm not surprised by this. I would assume that right now the legal says you do this, you do that, you do the other and slowly the law will catch up to some things if if you will that's certainly a hope but what is also discussed is the idea that the network itself wants to be more involved in these subjects and utilize things like gender affirming care and that language when of course it's not gender affirming Care at all? It's it's abusive if you allow a child to make a decision to to mutilate themselves. It's abuse. This story works as a way to get people to say, "I was right to leave Fox." Hello, Newsmax. I mean, that's it. Hello. I mean, maybe they're saying hello on American News, but I don't think that is hello. Possibly News Nation. Possibly. Um, and how the article goes into how a Fox News employee told the Daily Signal Fox News devotes hours of programming to attacking woke companies, but ironically Fox is as woke as the rest of them and that Fox viewers would be quote astonished to find out what the company is like. Uh, I think they're like a lot of other companies personally. But is this going to be utilized uh, as a way uh, of, for example, um, Newsmax trying to gain audience? Absolutely. As Greg Kelly points out, Newsmax is benefiting from the Fox News identity crisis. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. But I say to you right now, if if Newsmax came to me and said, hey, Tony, um, weekend show, you in or you out? I'd say yes, depending if I got to do the show I want to do. But if Fox News came to me and said, hey, Tony, weekend show, you in or you're out, I'd also say yes, depending on what I got to do. If CNN came to me, if MSNBC came to me, am I really in the place where I'm saying no? Is that the smart position to take? and you'll notice how in all of these I say the following thing as long as I could do the show I wanted to do because if I couldn't do the show it wouldn't none of it would matter well Tony you'd still make the money and and dear lord there's gotta be more than that The open, honest conversation is more important than the checkbook. It has to be because if you're having the open, honest conversation, I swear to you, everything else works itself out. This is going to hurt Fox a lot. The question is, if you're a Fox host, are you commenting on it? Not on show, but in general. Is this the woke company? Are we going to start hearing more and more of these stories? And how does Fox work its way out of this? I'm Tony Counts. Multiple conversations with the Ukrainians
1: uh, about the risk of escalation here. Uh, Nobody wants to see World War Three. And
0: uh, we have made it clear that we're not going to encourage or enable Ukraine to strike inside Russian territory. But you're willing to give them F-16s. Now, wait a second, Mr. Kirby. You're not going to encourage, you don't want to say you're enabling the ability of the Ukrainians to strike within Russia, but Joe Biden just told the allies it's okay to supply Ukraine with F-16s. It's kind of like giving a license, and does it get the United States more involved in... In the fight between Ukraine and Russia. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Major Mike Lyons joins us right now. Retired United States Army West Point man. You can find him on Twitter. M-A-J for Major Mike Lyons. L-Y-O-N-S. M-A-J Mike Lyons. On the Twitter box. uh, This is how Military.com has it. U.S. will train Ukrainians on F-16 fighter jet after months of speculation the training is a part two conversation major the first part is biden given the go-ahead after telling the the polls the polish no you can't hand over any any fighter jets they're not getting in the way they're saying do it what has changed
1: well, I think, Tony, a couple of things. First of all, the F-16s are not going to change the calculus on the ground. They're not going to create air superiority for Ukraine. There's still a long way in order for them to find their way to the battlefield. But what, what's really changed is by the administration signaling that we can send uh, F-16s and train pilots and have our NATO allies send them this is now a fait complete that ukraine will one day be part of nato as as ukraine gets more armed every day they're going to become the most armed country in europe anyway um so i think that's what the consideration is here i think that um you're looking at four separate company, uh, countries uh, Denmark, the Netherlands, uh, Belgium, Norway have um, f 16s let's say 30 to 60 in inventory that they could ship um, as they transition to the F-35. And so I, I think the fact that the administration took a signal from NATO countries that were okay with it, which means that they're going to be okay with Ukraine joining NATO, which means this process now started.
0: This process starting is everything that Russia didn't want and was part of the reason that Russia was so firm in dealing with Ukraine. I'm not giving saying that they were correct in any way, shape, or form. This was mm-hmm. all about trying to keep Ukraine from being in NATO because NATO was a serious threat to, to Russia and, and Russia's future as Vladimir Putin sees it. But now because of this invasion, you see those Baltic nations saying, you know mm-hmm. what? For years, we said, no, NATO, we don't need you, NATO, because they have Russia right there on their border. Now they're jumping in. What does NATO become now? Is, Is NATO still this response to Russian aggression or is there actually something here about building a NATO so now you can have a response to Chinese aggression?
1: Well, I think it's fo- focused first on Europe. Um, I think there's some fault lines within the alliance when it comes to China. Um, but I think first and foremost, they're concerned about Russia. They're concerned about Eastern Europe. And I was never for that. I was never for everybody in NATO except Russia. But given where this has gone down now and given the fact that the Ukraine military is destroying the Russian army in place, and given that once this war is eventually over, they're going to have to have security um, agreements between Russia, that, that Ukraine still won't be able to force without an alliance from the west so I, I think that's where it's naturally falling the question whether it transcends over to china i, I i'm not sure just yet i think um, the French, I think, there's some of the m- major NATO countries that are just n- not willing to. They're compartmentalizing it. Let's say they're they're not willing to kind of go that road uh, just yet. As uh, as the alliance will first adjust the two new countries, Sweden and Finland, or or uh, Finland and, and and Sweden into into NATO, and then likely Ukraine within the next you know four or five years.
0: Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, as we are now allowing Ukraine to get. These F-16s. Of course, the Russians have responded by saying this will, you know, this is continued escalation from the West and that we will figure this into our calculus. And we're, of course, able to handle this. You just stated that Ukraine's military is defeating the Russian military in place. We have actual mm-hmm. proof of this. We have actual proof that the Russian military is actually suffering losses at a rate that could cause it to lose and not even gain any part of the Donbas.
1: Yeah, I I think that the counteroffensive when it takes place from Ukraine is not going to overwhelm necessarily Russian forces. They'll try to I think the attack comes more in the south. I don't think the Donbas is going to be a a focus, which is why Bakhmut has been somewhat of a feint, I, I believe, because with the 40,000 soldiers that are anywhere in the southern region from Kherson up through uh, the Donbass region there, if the Ukraine counteroffensive can somehow cut those Russian troops in half, get a large amount of them to surrender, and then threaten Crimea, that just gets Russia to stop. That's the goal here, is is to get the Russian military to stop fighting. Now, the Russians still can bring a lot more to the table. They could still have a general mobilization. They could bring more troops. They can, they can bring more equipment. It's still Russia. They still have this capability to do that. Um, so I, I think that um, there's no vanquishing of Russia. That's not that's not going to take place. The the question is how do you get the Russian military to stop? And there's going to be concessions on on both sides. And in fact, some of the concessions might be Ukraine might lose some of its area, and, might, and it might be an area in that in that Donbas region.
0: You just said something that needs to be gone over, and if people, you've never looked at a map, it's very important that that you do. You believe that the Ukrainian forces right now could be able to control Kherson, which is to the south. It's right there on the river before it empties out into the Black Sea. You mm-hmm. believe, or people believe that control of Kherson is possible after all the bombings that took place there, all the attacks that took place and allow mm-hmm. the Ukrainian military to make a run on Crimea and take it back from the Russians?
1: yeah, threaten it. I you know if you look at the Dnepro River, they've got to find a place where they can cross it safely. So the Washington Post had an interesting article Friday. About the river crossings and how they're starting to move troops over there, and that's kind of the the sneaky, you know, precursor to that's from a military perspective where the enemy is weakest. Um, they it's an 800 kilometer front between Ukraine and Russia right now, and we can they can defend Bakhmut and they can defend those areas in the Donbass all they can. But the Russians are going to have the same challenge defending it across 800 kilometers as as Ukraine would. Um, And the the area of opportunity is that place in the south. They could slice through, cut across that river quickly, get troops on the other side, airborne troops. I think they need helicopters, not F-16s, but get troops on the other side of that. And they won't necessarily retake Crimea, but they'll be in a position between them and the Russian military in order to, to, to stop any, a Russian aggression that's going to move the South there. So they threaten it. That's, that's going to be the key there. It's not necessarily a run on it. Uh, they might not have enough troops to do that. I think if they concentrate their combat power in the South uh, and, and, and figure out a way to get 20,000 Russians to surrender, I, I really think the Russian military's got no choice but to, stop, to ask for a ceasefire at that point.
0: But that would require Vladimir Putin recognizing that they have to ask for a ceasefire. And there's been nothing that we've seen that shows that Vladimir Putin is willing to recognize that reality. My gosh, the continued conversations he's having, having of course, uh, in, in the motherland uh, uh, about uh, this is for the good of Russia, trying to continue the, the propaganda war to get people on his side. He, he has not shown in any visible sense a sign of stopping what would make you think or what would make uh, mil- American military figures think that he'd stop?
1: Uh, yeah, he, he would have to be faced with an inevitable loss there. He'd have to be faced with, again, large numbers of Russian troops surrendering. Those are the assumptions that, that the Ukraine military, I'm sure, are making, which is why they've delayed this counteroffensive, because they can't bring the combat power to that place in order to ensure some level of success. And you're absolutely right. He could turn around and respond where a tactical nuke would work from Russia's side is troops in the open or large uh, troop formations on the eastern portion of the Dnipro River that would be on the Ukraine side. Um, He doesn't care if he renders that area uninhabitable for however long it takes. So I'm not, this is no guarantee, but if there's going to be a plan for a counteroffensive, that gives them the most amount of success in order to try uh to get Russia to stop. They, if they decide to fo- focus the counteroffensive in the in the east and the Donbass and Bakhmut, how are they going to bring all that combat power which is currently back in Kyiv or back training in Grafenware, training all over the place, they'd have to get it to this spot, right? And, and to get it there from a logistical perspective, that supply chain is too long. Bring it to the south, get it, get it down there, um, maybe wait on the F, F-16s to, to provide some level of air support that comes from the sea. But a quick punch through in that, in that region gives them, I think, the most, um, the most opportunity for success. Uh,
0: let's take a, a step back for a moment to a couple months ago when we learned about a leak. Of of documents of of classified information, and one of these pieces of classified information, where you still have people under lock and key, and they're going to be charged with a whole host of crimes. A guy who was basically a weekend warrior, a a a, 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 a was he a reservist? I'm not even a hundred percent sure. I'm not trying to dismiss yeah. reservists. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that this is a guy who should not have had access to any classified right. information. He had access to 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 everything, and one mm-hmm. of the things that got released was conversation saying that the Ukrainian push this spring would not work against the Russians. That was what one of the communiques was discussing. You're saying that it is working. And so I want to know what changed between that communique and today.
1: Oh no no I don't think they've started this counteroffensive now. I think uh the counteroffensive could be six to eight months away. I, I don't believe they're doing it now. I think they're prepping it. They they have got to align up too many other combat systems in order to think they're going to be successful. They, they literally need to bring everybody home from training, the Patriot training uh, that is taking place in the United States, the crews that are at Grafenberg training, the ones that are training in England. No, no, I, I don't think, I think there's a feint going on in Bakhmut in the West. I think they're trying to... You know, kind of like saying, hold up the shoulder, so to speak. They try to make it seem like they're doing something there. But I don't think they've concentrated their power, uh, their combat power at all that is anything looking like a counteroffensive, and nor is there any indication they're going to do that. Now, again, you see the reports about them crossing the D'Ampro River. Those are solid, good reports, if that, if those are the case. If that was true, that's, that to me is the precursor of where it takes place but um, but you 'll know it when it happens because they 're going to deploy you know the the hundred or so tanks that are coming that they 're still really not there yet they 're going to deploy. Uh, the artillery when it comes, you've got another package of HEMARS, there's another package of equipment that's coming. Uh, if you're the Ukraine, they, they, the Ukraine military is not the United States. The United States can perform a just-in-time war. The United States can start a war and then, and then eventually add to it like we did in Iraq, too, let's say, right? The Ukraine military can't do that. They, they're going to have to concentrate all their firepower all at once. It's going to be all or nothing, and everything's got to be in-country. And the reserves have got to be in there. They're not going to be, they're not, once that starts, they can't stop. So they've got to have it all there.
0: In that uh, vein, in in this uh, idea of how uh, a war starts, you talk about how right now we're training Ukrainian forces on the Patriot missile system. Of course, Ukrainian uh, pilots are going to have to be trained on the f 16 My constant Mm -hmm. concern, worry, and fear has been this leads to American troops on the ground. Just my Mm -hmm. lack of faith that we're going to be able to train these pilots and train these people to operate these systems without having some support nearby. Now, if you want to tell me that nearby is Poland and that's not on the ground, we're going to have a very interesting disagreement. Am I wrong? Can it be done? Can these uh, Ukrainians be trained to work this stuff and repair this stuff without Americans, uh, I'll use the term, in theater?
1: Yeah, no, no, there are going to be contractors, and there's lots of um, F-16 contractors that are out there that that can do this. They're going to be paid a lot of money, so... So the contractors that we saw in Iraq and Afghanistan, I mean, that's the new way of, of warfare right now, too, is is this level of maintenance. But uh, no question that maintaining and sustaining these F-16s, which is why I said initially this is not going to give them air superiority. The, the planes that are going to be coming from uh, those countries are going to be older. They're going to be, have been upgraded F-16s, but they're going to be – having you know there's going to be parts of them that are no longer manufactured so they're going to have to figure out a way to fix those when the time comes plus the F-16 is an aircraft that requires uh, a good runway it's not, it's not necessarily a, uh, an aircraft that works well in a, in a dirty battlefield environment they're not going to be like landing on highways uh, and the like and then also when they get to Ukraine they're going to create a target for Russia to go after that if there's at if their air bases. So it's, again, not none of this is simple as it sounds, um, but I do think that if you, if, let's say the three major things, right, the pilot training, they're going to move that up four to six months, and we'll see, we'll find out if, to see how that works. So so that, that's the long pole in the tent for right now. They're going to get maintenance and get equipment to sustain the aircraft. They'll get there to pull, and it's likely where a lot of the maintenance takes place. And then the last thing is munitions and, and what kind of weapon systems, because the F-16 is a platform, can do a lot of different things. It has radar jamming, it's got air-to-air, air, it's got air-to-ground, it's got a lot of different things. And and then who's going to pay for harms, missiles, and who's going to pay for all those things? So lots to talk about still with F-16s and that this is why they're, not, they're still not going to be there for six to eight months, if that.
0: Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Find him on Twitter M-A-J Mike Lyons L-Y-O-N-S M-A-J Mike Lyons on Twitter. I appreciate you. More is coming up. I'm Tony Counts.
1: There's a place we gotta go
0: Republicans want data on terror watch list arrests at the border and their right to want it. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, we'll get into a border conversation coming up. Uh, the Border Patrol reports an uptick in border arrests of people on the watch list. And House Republicans want to know how the agency, meaning uh, Department of Homeland Security, is managing the risk. Why shouldn't they ask for this? Why shouldn't we be discussing this? They want records on detention history and removal proceedings. Now, the Department of Homeland Security will probably say that we don't want to provide this information or we shouldn't have to provide this information. It's about safety and security. We don't want the terrorists to know how well we're doing in following them, in watching them, in keeping an eye on them, etc., etc. No, what they don't want is you knowing exactly how dangerous the border situation is. This is everything they do not want. They do not want you to know how serious the situation is, how serious the issue is, how bad this is for everybody involved. That's what they don't want you to know. That's what they don't want you to see. So the question is, how much of this data will be kept? U.S. Border Patrol has recorded 103 apprehensions of individuals on the terror watch list at the southern border since October. It was 98 of all last year. Now remember, the, the way the the fiscal calendar runs for the government, that's when their fiscal calendar starts, so often you'll see things start at that time. But we should be clear, these people were caught trying to be crossed the border between ports of entry so they weren't coming in the legal way they knew they were sneaking into the country and you're going to be at a pace it seems like you're going to double if it was 103 apprehensions so far since October and it was only 98 all of last year uh, it's May uh, yeah yeah you can get close you can get close to a doubling the border is a reason for concern and you'll notice how little the press talks about it there are reasons. There are reasons. And I'm going to talk about the border coming up. Find everything at tonycats.com. This is Tony Katz today.